right? So healing biblically, it takes places in three ways. There's three categories all throughout your Bible of healing. There's literal, had plague, had leprosy, no longer has plague, about to die, did die, no longer dead, right? Literal, spiritual. The first component of spiritual healing, it happens when you come to know Jesus Christ as your savior, right? It happens when you have the relationship, but then it's progressive. There's more healing over time as you become like him. The second category of healing is spiritual. Third category of healing is eternal. It's the reality that in Christ, one day you will come and there's no more pain, no more tears, no more sorrow, no more sickness. There will be a point where you will receive what's called this glorified body where you'll walk around, you'll sit down, you'll have a house where you'll go and you'll live. You'll see friends, you will worship God. And as you do all of that, you'll never fear an outbreak from the flu. You will never live in the reality of the crippling disease of what sin can do in your heart and the hearts of people around you. You will never live in a world where systemic injustice is everywhere. Why? You'll be ultimately healed. So which type of healing, literal, spiritual, eternal, is he talking about? Spiritual. Here's why. You gotta look at context. Context informs everything. Same verse right before, he's talking about forgiveness. The spiritual healing comes when you realize, when you grasp, not just, man, I'm forgiven of my sins, but how God wants to go to work in the forgiven, how God wants to heal the pain and the brokenness. He doesn't leave you as you are. He takes you where he wants you to go. Why this is so helpful for me, why this is so helpful it's when I reflect on two things. Oh, excuse me, three, I'm sorry. First one, the ways that God has already changed me. And he's changed me tremendously, not by me in anything. It's not self-righteousness. I can't get any credit. In eternity, I'll get no credit. I'll throw every crown at Jesus. He's changed me a lot. And the second part, the parts where I still want him to change me, the parts where I still come, right? And, and, and I'm led in anger and in temper. I'm led where insecurity fuels a desire to be right, right? Where I'm led, where when I come and I get around people, when I walk out in the streets, I'm scared to share my faith with a person who hands me coffee, hands me dinner, or I just met at the Best Buy. Those insecurities, those fears. But the third part, let's say I never change and fully become who he intends me to be. Let's say I don't get there, right? He wants to help me. He wants me to pursue that. He wants to change that. I am still forever healed from the crippling reality of sin in my life. Here's what that means. That means when I sin, it's not by default. It's not by force. It's by choice. That gives me because even on the days when I totally get it wrong, even on the days when I'm, I'm, I'm completely sinful, it's utterly broken. When I walk and I can't control my thoughts the way that I'm supposed to, when I don't treat my wife with honor and dignity, when I really am a shell of who he intends me to be, you know what's true? My healing's not up to me. 
My healing came from him. He wants more for me. I am already healed. You can change. Being healed by the power of God spiritually means he's already at work. He's already doing it. That gives hope. What's the third thing you must know? What's the third thing you must instruct and teach your soul with? The third thing we see it there in verse four. What else does God do who redeems your life from the pit? The third thing, right? We, we've seen you are forgiven, church. Church, you are healed. Third, you are redeemed. I, I love this. Do you know what to redeem means? It means to buy out in the context of to take to safety. It was the word that would have been used when a, sla- a person bought a slave's freedom. They've been redeemed. You, apart from God, are enslaved to the brokenness and reality of this world. That doesn't mean you're entirely a terrible person. But the only thing that makes you holy is not you being a better version of you. It's God calling you holy. To be redeemed is to come and say, sin is no longer my master. I no longer serve sin. I serve the king. It fundamentally changes who is in charge of your soul. You've been redeemed. And I love to how it says from the pit. The pit, it's like a euphemism. It's a reference for the grave or for death. The impact that you can have on your life where you come and there's things in you. And man, this can be everything from gluttony and a lack of self-control that leads to weight gain. And because of that, you always come January 1, want to cut weight trying to cut weight, no shame on you, glad you're here, right? That can be it. All the way to, all the way to the crippling addiction that you just can't stop doing and repeating and going back to, where you honestly think, I'll never change. And when I share that, man, some folks think, okay, yeah, yeah, that's like alcoholism, narcotics, or or porn, or something like that, like male, female, whatever. But yeah, that, that applies there. You know what that also applies to? Your systemic apathy towards the things of God, where though he pleads with you, screaming at you, I love you, I'll heal you, I'll redeem you, I will change you, draw near to me, I will draw near to you. You will never find a greater helper or advocate than him. And we still say, I'm fine. That's wildly offensive. You're not a slave to that, the pit of that death, it does not own you. That should give hope, and you can change. There's a different master. The thought that I love about this is the truth that who make the best freedom fighters? Like, who make the best freedom fighters? Those who know their former slaves. The best Freedom fighters are former slaves. And you know what God wants in you? Freedom, liberty, healing, health. You know what he wants the world to see? Freedom, liberty. Like for me, happiness. Joy. Like I wish I could like smile more because I'm honestly happy about it, but maybe it's just intense and the whole sermon thing. But like legitimately, It's a different life because he brings change. That's the third thing you have to know. You are redeemed. 
What's the fourth thing? Right here, continuing in verse four. You must teach your soul who you are. And the second thing, of, or excuse me, the fourth thing of who you are, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. The fourth truth, if you believe in Jesus, here is who you are. Loved. How loved? Deeply, utterly, completely, unequivocally to the ends of the earth from everlasting to everlasting as far as the heavens are above the earth. So great is his love. Y'all, as a father shows compassion on his children, so God shows compassion on those who fear him. Fear there, what that means, it's reverence. It's not being scared. Some of us, though, when we think about parents, there's a different type of fear. It's scared. Where they either, the father wasn't there, or the mother wasn't there, or when they were there, you did not want them there. God came to save the broken image of fatherhood in America and in your life. But what he pleads for is we all know someone who is a dad. They're imperfect, they're broken. But as a dad, as a father, you can look at them and you can say, that's different. That's legitimately different. There's kindness, there's love. Like the kids run to him. There's grace in that house. And he's saying, that's my love for you. I love how he says he crowns you with steadfast love. Crowns, it's about royalty. Who, who gets a crown, a king or a queen? Let's say you could go hang out with a king or a queen. What is their number one distinguishing factor? What's the thing that distinguishes them is king. The thing that distinguishes them is queen. Crown. The number one distinguishing characteristic that God wants for you, that God wants for me, is the fact that you are loved, cherished, treasured in Christ, not because of this. So many of us, though, I don't, I don't think we get that, or we think, okay, God's supposed to love me because he's God and he's holy, but does he really treasure? Does he really cherish? Is he excited? Or, or is God with me the way I am with my kids or my friends or my parents were with me? To where you come and you just want to put them to bed because you're exhausted and you're frustrated. Or your friends, you tolerate them for a certain time and then you're just done with them. And you're like, this person's a fool. Or you look at the relationship with your parents, you're like, well, that's honestly a letdown. One of my favorite verses in the Bible comes from a, a prophet by the name of Micah. Micah uses the same language that David's been using here. He talks about forgiveness of sins. He talks about the love of God. I, I want to read it for you guys. It's Micah chapter 7, verse 18. And here's why I want to read it. It shows you his heart behind the love that he has. Micah chapter 7, verse 18. Who is a God like you? Pardoning in iniquity and passing over our transgressions for the remnant of his inheritance. That's the forgiveness and grace. He does not retain his anger forever. He can't be angry towards you. Why? He unleashed it all on Jesus. There's no more wrath left. And then it tells us why. Why, God? Why? Because God delights in steadfast love. You know that he delights in loving you? That he delights, he cherishes, he treasures in loving you. And here's the thing, man. If you don't believe in him or if you do, we are all looking for that kind of love. Like you're all looking for someone who ultimately is the true reality of I sincerely, I'm crazy about you. I love all of you. Like, I can't wait to be with you. I enjoy you. I look forward to seeing you. 
And he's the one who really feels it. My daughter Lily's almost three. We've been potty training her for about 19 years, right? <laughs> That's what it feels like. Here's the thing. We just moved her from nursery to big girl room. So with that, and then we got a baby boy that's due at the end of the month. So with that came, and I bet parents, and if you don't have kids, you'll, you'll learn this from me, but parents who've had a bunch of kids, you probably get this, right? There's been this massive like regression, like the shift, the bringing her over, maybe it's baby on the way, maybe it's all new habits, all these rooms, to where potty training has all of a sudden become real difficult all over again. Sunday night, right? There's a, a bathroom across from her room. I go to walk into the bathroom. I know Lily's there. We got to start the bedtime routine. I walk in, I turn the door, and I put my foot down. All of a sudden, my foot is wet, right? Foot's wet. I immediately know this is not good, right? I look over my sweet, adorable daughter that's like this tall, right? She's on a stool. She's pushed a stool over to the light switch, and she's just there smiling, looking at me, flicking the lights on and off, on and off, on and off, on and off. That's our second realization. Third realization, I am hit with an amazingly powerful, overwhelming odor of just nastiness that came from a very small body, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Here's the thing, though, too, like diapers... We're out of that. So somehow this, this terrible thing has worked its way to where, like, yeah, we're going here, guys. Like down, down her leg, there's just like this clump right outside her calf. Right there. Yeah, yeah. It was awful. Pray for us. <laughs> right? Well, I love her. I delight in her. So what do I do? Taylor! Seriously, that's what I did. That's my wife. Yeah, I could be better. Yeah, right? But no, mama comes and immediately, this ain't our first rodeo. So we break down, we take care of, we put her in the bath, we get her cleaned up. We say, hey, sweetie, why did you? Here's why you want to tell. We, we do all that. We address it. And then we come. We put her down in bed. Like I, I put the PJs on her. I got her red. I put the socks. I came over. I laid her in. I tucked her. I read to her. I prayed with her told her I love her. I overwhelmingly delight in my daughter. I totally don't want to clean up poop. I don't. That is in no way how I think about her. How many times do we come and instead of defining ourselves by the delight of God's love, we define ourselves by the sin, by the foolishness, by the brokenness. Like, biblically, here's what's true. God gives you, Christian, no scarlet letter of your sin. But so many of us, man, we don't wear it on the outside, but we self-impose that on the soul. And God's pleading, because you're forgiven, because you're healed, because you're redeemed, all this is because I love you. I deeply love you. I actually treasure you. I cherish you. I love you so much that I didn't want you to be apart from me for an eternity. And instead of you working to me, I allowed my son to die for you. John, he died for you. Springs, he died for you. Non-believer, he died for you. Person checking out church for the first time in a long time and you got baggage, he died for you. He really loves you. The next time you see a friend that you haven't seen for a long time and you love them and your heart jumps and you leap to move towards them. That's how he feels about you. 
right? The next time you have children and you tuck them down in bed and yes, the craziness of getting them ready and the terribleness of the day, but then you tuck them down in bed, you quiet their soul, you quiet yours and you remind them, I love you. That's how he feels because of goodness in you, because of greatness in you, because Christ gave it to you. It's the kindest thing that anyone has ever done for you, the kindest thing anyone's ever done for me. You are love. Teach the soul this. Let's look at the final thing we must instruct our soul with. The final thing. Verse five. Who satisfies you with good, we all want that, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. You and I, if we want to change, if we really want lasting change, glorious change, you must teach your soul who you are, not how you define, how he defines. You are forgiven. You are healed. You are redeemed. You are loved. And then this one, you are renewed. Right? You, you could put it in here. You are satisfied. Let me show you what that means. Uh, growing up, uh, we lived in South Florida, and then we'd come back and visit family. We moved to Georgia when I was about five. Loved the ocean. One of the things I'd always want to do is, you know where the beach comes and then the waves hit? Oftentimes, that's right where the waves will break. Right? It's Florida, so the waves aren't huge. But one of the things that I, I loved to do, one of the things that I loved to do was go and sit right where the waves came to the beach, because that was where they'd break. And I'd sit there growing up and I'd allow those waves to hit me. And it was like a game. I'd jump over them. I'd swim through them. I'd allow them to hit me and I'd sit back up. It was this crescendo, this washing effect of wave after wave after wave. Eventually I'd be tired. Obviously I'd have to get out. I loved it. David's writing this letter and he says, you have satisfied me with good. What's he talking about? He's reflecting on, I am forgiven. You have healed my diseases, right? You have redeemed my life from the pit. You have crowned me with steadfast love and mercy. These are the waves that are crashing and are crashing and are crashing and are crashing and are crashing as he's preaching, forget not, bless the Lord. Forget not, bless the Lord. And what happens when you reflect on who you are in Jesus Christ? It satisfies you with good. Not because you gotta earn something, because he gave it to you, because he loves you. What's that meant to do? Renew. So that your youth, it's renewed like the eagles. I didn't know this till this week. Something interesting about eagles, right? Eagles keep their strength until they die, right? So, so humans, you and me, right? Our, our life, we follow it, we get strong. And then later in life, if we're privileged to get there, we become weaker over time. Eagles, Stay strong. It's this reality of what happens is the truth of who you are in Christ washes over your soul. It renews. It strengthens. It gives life. That's why you get around folks and what's true of Christians should be we get better with age. Right? Our, our bodies may give way, but the soul, we should be marked more by joy more self-discipline, more generosity, more gracious giving, more patience, more tenderness, better marriages. There's a direct correlation to youthful maturity in your soul and you reflecting on who you are in Christ. 
I wanted to create for this uh, like a visual. I couldn't quite think of how to do it. I wanted to create this visual of like brokenness that when I hold on to this, it's just this weight that like weighs me down. It's heavy. It's this burden and it weighs me down. And then I wanted to come in and be some sinful thing or some false form of my identity. And then I wanted to take it and I wanted to drop it and there'd be this big bang. And I want to come over here and pick up this like feather, feather light piece of paper. It says, child, son, forgiven, free, made a man, not earning manhood, changed, newly patient, God proud of. There's no weight to carry with that. It just redefines like a wave that washes over and over and over. I call this the Brad Pitt effect. Yep, Brad Pitt. Anybody watch the Golden Globes? Okay, me neither, right? But I know he was there. Here's something that's true about Brad Pitt. Stay with me. It's going to make sense, hopefully. And I'm just going to say what even all of us are thinking in here, right? Here's what's true about Brad Pitt. He gets more handsome with time, right? Yep, I said it. Welcome to the Springs. It is a fact. In a very silly way, you and I are meant to be renewed with time. Like as you get older, you're meant to be more yielded, more to living in righteousness, more adorable because people adore Christ in you, more faithful, more full of an honest love of God. Why? You have been renewed and you are being renewed. You are renewed. Guys, we're in a series, You Can Change. We're looking at all the different aspects of our life where we want to change everything from the parts about us that aren't necessarily sin that we don't like all the way to the parts where we sincerely, because Christ is in us, want to grow to be like him. You have to start with who you are. You start with your identity. You start with who he's made you to be, not how you define, how he defines. Here's what's true. You can't just sit in it. You have to teach your soul it. You have to self-preach. You have to tell it. You are forgiven. You are healed. You are redeemed. You are loved. You are renewed. Those things are not optional. They are already true about you. If you believe, whether you embrace them, whether you fight to teach them, whether you cling to them or you don't, you are forgiven. You are healed. You are redeemed. You are loved. You are renewed. You can change. Teach the soul. What do I think is the best way to do? So coming out of this, how do you, how do, you do this? I, I love how the psalmist started it in verse 2. He says, what do we do? Bless the Lord, O my soul. And then he stirs himself up by way of reminder. He says, forget not. So what does he do? He self-preaches. And for him, he's writing it down in poetry. Church, there's two things I'd ask you to do. One, memorize Psalm 103, verses two through five. Why should you memorize it? You're prone to forget. Start with verse two. Two, right? Memorize Psalm 103, two through five. What's the second thing? I would find a way to self-preach this verse to yourself every 
single day. When you find yourself wanting to get off the path of who God wants you to be, fight to get back on by who you are in Christ. Why? If you want to change, you must teach the soul who you are. I love this too, and I'll close with this. Reflecting on who wrote this, some of you guys may have picked this up at the beginning, right? But the psalm was written by King David. Here's what's true about King David. Whether you know his story, you don't. Yes, a man after God's own heart, shepherd boy, grew up, came to lead part of the army, came to lead a lot of the army under Saul, then became king. Man after God's own heart, tremendous faithfulness, becomes king. And all of a sudden there's this moment in his story where when kings go off to war, he doesn't. What happens? He's up on top of the palace. He looks on top of the roof beside him and he sees a woman by the name of Bathsheba bathing naked. David goes and the Bible says he sent messengers. Messengers likely would have been armed guards. He sent armed guards to Bathsheba's house. And what does it say the messengers did? They took her. Brings Bathsheba to him. Right? David sleeps with this woman. And I say the word sleep because this text, while not explicit, it does not seem consensual. Sleeps with this woman. She finds herself pregnant. David, he can't hide the sin. The man after God's own heart, the leader of the people of Israel. So what does David do? Does he come forward? Does he bring it out? Does he live in reality, the forgiveness of the covenant love of God? He doubles down. He invites her husband back, which was his best friend and the head of his army. He tries to manipulate him, to deceive him, to cover up his sin. When that doesn't work, the manipulation, the deception, the lying, the cheating, what does he do? Has him killed. Murderer. All this happens, David goes on with the rest of his life. You fast forward in your Bible, it would about anywhere from seven to eight months. Baby's still not yet born. David has a friend, a follower of God, who comes by the name of Nathan and says, God knows what you've done. And by God's grace, it breaks David. That's who he was. Do you think he ever was tempted to sit there and say, I took her? Do you think he was ever tempted to sit there and live in the reality of, I deceived him, tried to manipulate him, I forced her to go along with it so she wouldn't tell him while he was still there, potentially under threat? Do you think he was ever tempted to sit in the reality of, and then I killed him? And then after all that, despite that, I still wouldn't repent till God sent another man who loved me enough to tell me to repent. You think he had identity problems? You think he wanted to associate himself with his past or his broken decisions as the thing that he could get by? I think he wrote this psalm for him. As he sat there, and I imagine this scroll and the way as he's writing this in Hebrew, would have sat there, tears staining that piece of paper as he wrote, he forgives all my iniquity. And man, I bet he went through that list. He heals all my diseases, my insecurity, my fear, the crippling fact, and then even after my foolishness with the kingdom that I was given to oversee, he heals all my diseases. He redeems my life from the pit. Man after God's own heart satisfies me with good. What was David doing? He was teaching himself He was teaching his soul what was true, even though he didn't really believe it, even though he didn't really think it.
Why? He wanted more change. He wanted to be a better worship leader. He wanted to bless the Lord with every ounce of his fiber in his being, and it started from him, and then it grows out. Church, you must teach your soul who you are. If you want lasting change, like if you want real change, it starts by first knowing Christ. And knowing Christ, how he defines you. Are you a fool or are you faithful? Are you sinner or are you saint? Are you apart from him or are you a child? You are forgiven. You are healed. You are redeemed. You are loved. You are renewed. Teach your soul who you are. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for your word, for just the truth of it and what it means in my life and the lives of others. God, I'd ask that you'd come and do what only you can do. And please help us to know that you delight in us. You delight in steadfast love. And who do you show steadfast love? Me. Us. The people who now don't even believe in you, you plead with them to come to know you because there's love. Father, may they come. Would you change souls this morning? May people who are not followers of you become followers of you. May you change identities. And then people who do know you, who have a new identity, would you help us to teach our souls? Would you make it happen, inform the soul? We want to change all for you, all because of what you've done. We love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Guys, if you have questions about anything, please come down, talk, turn to a neighbor, ask questions. But man, thank you all for joining us. Y'all go. Have a great week of worship. See you next Sunday.